The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Podcast, presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Welcome to the AV Podcast Hardware Edition, November 8th, 2006. Coming up in this edition, we have the AV News. Jason gives us an insight into the Gadget Show. Home Cinema Choice editor Steve May rounds up his week in AV. And the AV Play review team get to grips with the Denon 1730 upscaling DVD player. This week's, this week's, this week's Audio Visual News. news. In this edition, getting us underway this week is some hot news from the world of rear projection. Texas Instruments, the creator of DLP projection technology, has joined forces with a couple of big-name TV makers to produce DLP rear projection TVs that use LED light sources rather than the usual bulbs. Why does this matter? Well, firstly, LED lights are proven to help projectors produce a wider colour gamut helping rear pro TVs present more accurate and lifelike colours. Second, LED lights consume considerably less power than standard lamps, a potentially major attraction in these environmentally friendly times. Third, LED light sources are capable of delivering exceptionally high brightness, while also retaining contrast ratios of up to 4,000 to 1. Achieving a combination of high brightness and high contrast is one of the key aspects of home cinema performance, yet with normal lighting sources, it's also one of the most difficult to achieve. People who've experienced the way you have to wait for standard DLP or LCD rear projection to warm up and cool down will also appreciate the fact that LED TVs can be switched off and on instantly. Last, but certainly not least, while standard rear projection bulbs struggle to last beyond 3,000 to 5,000 hours before they need replacing, LED light sources are reckoned to be good for a staggering 60,000 hours. This equates to around the same quoted lifespan as a typical LCD or plasma flat panel TV. The first two TV brands to take the LED plunge are New Vision and Samsung, with New Vision delivering a 52-inch set and Samsung a 56-inch set. Both these TVs use full HD 1920x1080 chipsets and are on sale in the US for around $4,000. New Vision doesn't distribute in the UK, so we don't expect to see that model appearing here anytime soon. But while Samsung wouldn't confirm anything for this podcast, we're really hoping it might see its way to bringing at least a few of its LED sets to Blighty for us to get our hands on. At the very least, the new LED developments raise the prospect of better performing, longer lasting and more energy efficient TVs becoming more widely available in the coming months. And that can only be a good thing. Having mentioned the environmentally friendly aspects of LED technology, let's now continue the green theme with news that Panasonic have become the first manufacturer in the world to eliminate lead from all of its plasma displays. Lead is normally used in the manufacturing of the glass for plasma panels, as it helps it maintain stability and quality. But in recognition of the difficulties of recycling lead, Panasonic have developed an all-new glass material that achieves the same benefits as the old approach, but without the lead. This new glass even works with the company's vast new 103-inch screen. 
In a similar vein, Panasonic has released results from an independent technology research lab in Germany showing that contrary to what most LCD advocates would have you believe, plasma TVs overall don't use more energy while they're running than LCDs. Finally this month, even though no figures are in yet as to how well Samsung and Panasonic's Blu-ray players are selling, LG has suddenly overcome its previous reticence and decided to join the UK Blu-ray fray. The company's BD100 machine was introduced amid quite a fanfare at last weekend's Best of Stuff show, with no less a luminary than top sprinter Darren Campbell on hand to extol its virtues. These virtues include full 1080p playback, support for the advanced interactivity of Blu-ray Java content, and the ability to handle an unexpectedly wide variety of other multimedia formats, including MP3, DivX discs, and Windows media files. Given the high profile of the BD100's unveiling, you'd imagine that its UK sales launch must be pretty imminent. But frustratingly, LG refused to be drawn on either a launch date or a price other than to say that its cost will be, and I quote, competitive. Obviously, when we hear more, so will you. Join the discussion at Europe's largest home cinema website. Log in to avforums.com. You're listening to the AV Podcast. Oh, worth it. Totally worth it. So once again this week, we catch up with Steve May, editor of Home Cinema Choice magazine. Hi, Stephen. What have you been up to this week? Yeah, hi, Phil. Um, yeah, it's been a busy seven days. Let me give you a quick run through of some of our highlights. First off, we started the week playing the new Xbox 360 shooter Gears of War on the IMAX screen in London. Now, I don't know how many people have had an IMAX movie experience, but it's usually fairly memorable just in and of itself. But to celebrate the launch, Microsoft hired out the IMAX on the South Bank and allowed journalists to play the game one at a time on a screen as tall as three double-decker buses. Now, I don't know if you've seen Gears of War, but it's pretty gory. And to see it that big in surround sound from the Xbox 360 is quite something. Rick Henderson, who's a regular poster on the forums, has been acting pretty weird, actually, since the event. I think he might have done him some sort of permanent damage. <laughs> Uh, we've also tried to get Panasonic's new 103-inch screen into the HCC office because we thought it would be a good product to test. Unfortunately, we failed. There's some quite stiff requirements to get it into the building. For example, the box can't go upstairs and any lifts that you want to use have to be 3 metres by 2 metres big. This will be useful for any of our forum readers who intend to spend the 50 grand to buy it. We also wanted to get it into our viewing room, but we couldn't do that either because the ceiling height has to be 3.2 metres high so the screen can be winched into place. So uh, I think we're going to have to have a rethink about how we approach that particular screen. Uh, but it's very exciting to see, so if anyone actually gets the chance, uh, they should definitely make the effort. Um, this week we've also got Warner's European rollout for HD DVD. They've got uh, uh, an announcement being made in France this week, and it'll be very interesting to see what they have to say for themselves. Interestingly, Warner aren't make, keep making too much of a noise about HD DVD at the moment, and they've heavily restricted the number of invites that they've handed out to the UK press. Um, so I'm not sure quite how much coverage it's going to generate. Um, and they also, interestingly, seem much more interested in mainstream DVD magazines than 
in the kind of early adopter AV press. Just as a, a bit of background, uh, the studio only offered one place for the entire future publishing operation. Future is a fairly big company with a huge stable of magazines. And that one invite went to our sister magazine, DVD Review. And we had to uh, do quite a lot of negotiating to actually get our own invite. So it'd be very interesting to see who's at the press event in France and what they announce. So, Steve, what else has been going on this week for you? Well, unfortunately, I never made it to the best of stuff and what Hi-Fi show, because our magazine is on its deadline week, which means we're all pretty much in the office trying to make sure it goes out the door in time. But I was very interested to read some of the comments about the Sony Pearl uh, on the forums, most of them quite negative. Now, we just had that particular projector into the office for testing, and we actually thought it was a bit of a cracker. It's a very nice projector indeed, although we did find that it didn't look that great straight out of the box, so I wonder how much calibration Sony actually put into the setting up of the product at the uh, show. Well, Steve, actually, I, I, I had the opportunity to go along to that demo room, and um, it was in fact the Ruby which they were showing, which looked like it was straight out of the box, to be honest. Very washed out. Colours weren't anything like we've seen in the past with the projector. They seem to be concentrating far more on their amplifier um, than anything else in the room, which was which was quite sad, really. Well, now the Ruby is an interesting one to show them because uh, that basically had very limited distribution in, in the UK. Only two or three models were actually carried around, and most of those were used uh, to, to demonstrate Blu-ray. Um, it's not really a product anyone can go and buy. I'm very surprised they didn't actually roll out the Pearl, because that's uh, three and a half grand. That's a 1080p SXRD projector that is going to give DLP quite a lot to think about. Yeah, it, it was rather strange. They did have one at the back of the room which was there for you to touch and feel, but not one that was up and running. Another thing which I noticed at the show, which uh, is becoming prevalent, and I'm a big fan of it, is anamorphic projection. What's your thoughts on that? Oh, it can look stunning. There's no doubt about that at all. And I think if, if you're at the high end of that projection market and you've got the kind of venue that can benefit from it, then... Uh, it would be very tempting. Uh, Sim 2 have been making quite a lot of noise about anamorphic projection. Uh, Runco similarly have been uh, presenting their own solution to it as well. And it can look really quite amazing. So I'd be very envious of anyone that uh, had the room and the funds to set one of those up. But projection generally is looking very strong. There's some terrific buys coming along uh, from 720p all the way up to 1080p now. So you mentioned the Sony panel. Um, which issue will we see the review for that in then? Okay, that's actually in our issue 137, which uh, goes on sale in about three weeks. Steve, it's been fascinating as always talking to you this week, and we'll catch up with you next week. Thanks very much. Take care. For the biggest and best DVD and HD news and reviews, visit avplay.com. Jason's Gadget of the Week. It's time once again to let you in behind the scenes of my gadget existence and what I've been doing in the seven days since the last podcast. I've just actually finished filming quite a gruelling 13-hour day with my fellow presenters on The Gadget Show, uh, Susie Perry and John Bentley. We've been uh, putting together one of the challenges that the new Series 5 of The Gadget Show has now become famous for, and uh, this one is an absolute cracker for anyone that's into technology. It was a robot Olympiad. 
We had various uh, tests that we put uh, three robot candidates through. The first test was a uh, simple 100 meter sprint. I say simple, it wasn't anything of the sort, but uh, that was challenge number one. Round number two was a dancing competition, uh, which we held in a nightclub in Birmingham, and that was absolutely hilarious. And the third and final test was a fight to the death uh, in a kind of fight club environment. So you'll probably want to know which of the myriad robots available we chose for our robot Olympiad. Well, uh, in the blue corner was RoboSapien, the new version, which uh, is called RS Media. It's based on the... Um, the normal RoboSapien robot, but it's got uh, a great deal of media functionality. You can store your MP3 files on him, you can play movies through him. He's got a camera built into his head that can record uh, full-colour video, and then he'll play it back on his stomach. And he's got a kind of database of loads of different voices and really funny phrases that um, make him, I think, possibly the most entertaining of the three robots, although I don't want to give too much away. Robot number two was based on the NXT platform that Lego just released. This is basically a big box of Lego that will cost you £179.99. Uh, inside are all manner of, of pieces, well over 500 pieces. Uh, but more importantly, their new NXT robotic chipset, which uh, is kind of like a big brick, I suppose, with a uh, grayscale screen on it. What's interesting about the NXT, which we covered a few weeks ago in detail on the Gadget Show, is that uh, it's a real proper thinking robot. Uh, it's got a number of sensory devices built into it. It, it can sense sound, it can sense uh, touch, it can see using sonar, if see is the correct phrase. And it uses these sensors to great effect. It was, I think, probably one of the most awake of the three robots that we used in terms of it actually making its own decisions for itself. And of course, being Lego, uh, you know, the, the only limit on what it can look like is your imagination. So for the sprint, I won't tell you what John did, but um, he pulled something quite special out of the bag. So don't assume from that that he won. Uh, but the NXT, by virtue of being a kit, is able to adapt to whatever situation it be. And again, he pulled something very exotic out of the bag for the, uh, the final round, uh, which was the fighting round. So um, if you're a fan of Lego, I'm sure that you'll, uh, you'll be very keen to see the NXT in action. The third and final contender, which was uh, my baby, was something called Robonova, which for those of you who are hardcore robot fans, you, you'll know it already. There's actually a picture of Robonova on my website, jasonbradby.com. On the right-hand side in the categories section, scroll down to uh, robots. And under robots, you'll see all of the robots I've seen in the last couple of years, including Robonova. There's a big picture of him. And essentially, he's, he's made up of a number of servos. He's actually produced by a servo company called Hitech. Those of you into RC will know Hitech. They make servos for um, aircraft and cars and things. And because of the uh, servo-based nature of his body, he's incredibly flexible. You can articulate his limbs in all kinds of different positions, and so it makes for some very interesting movement, both in the running and the dancing section. But my Robonova was joined by a troop of five further Robonovas for what I think is going to be one of the most uh, memorable sequences in Series 5 of The Gadget Show. So there you go, that's coming up in about two weeks. That's uh, exclusive information. Don't tell your friends. It's top secret, only intended for AV podcast listeners. The highest definition. definition. This is the AV podcast. This week's roundtable discussion, hosted by Phil Hinton.
and welcome to a rather special review roundtable. Yes, that's right, we're in the hardware edition of the AV Podcast because we're all speaking about the Denon 1730 DVD player. The reason? Well, all the review team, funnily enough, have this player at hand and we've made it our review machine of the year. So to discuss this player, what it looks like, how it performs and so on, we've got the review roundtable who's Chris McAnini, Simon Crust and Seth Gecko. So starting with Seth, Seth, what do you think of this machine? Um, I think it's actually not too bad. I'm, I've I've um, got a few players myself um, to to debase um, my my viewpoint on it. I have actually got the thirty nine ten, one of their uh, top of the range players. I've also got um, a Pioneer five seven five, which is a, um, effectively the the rival to, for this particular player, being sort of the cheap end of the market. Definitely got a better build compared to the uh, 757, and it looks very similar to the rest of the Denon range, um, including the 3910. It is unusual for the Denon players to actually play DivX files as well as CDs, DVDs, etc. But it's a solid player, and it has the HDMI output as well. So for a low-budget machine, um, if you want to hook it up to an HDMI port, you can do that quite easily and upscale to 1080i. Well, that's the big thing about the new range of Denon players, and the reason why we've taken on the 1730 is the fact that we've got the upscaling from uh, the HDMI connection, and like you say, you can upscale it to 1080i. And I've got to say, performance-wise, you're never going to get DVD to look HD. That's just impossible uh, because of the transfers. But upscaling it to that rate, I've upscaled it to 720 on my uh, Barco projector. And I have to say, I was using a Panasonic RP82 by using the SDI output. And I have to say, this Denon component output at 720p, the picture's lovely. Gorgeous colours, really sharp uh, image. The only thing negative, I have to say at this moment in time, is the the loading times and going from menus um, to special features, etc. It does take a little while to to get the gears into motion, doesn't it? Uh, well, compared to some of the players that I've got, because most of mine seems to be out of the arc compared to this one, really. I've got a very dated Toshiba, a smart media, um, a, a couple of Sony ones knocking about. And uh, I actually thought it was a bit quicker than <laughs> my usual stuff, to be honest. But I have been very impressed with the player, and it certainly is my player of choice at the moment. And uh, I've not been able to upscale anything yet because I'm still awaiting my glorious 1080p sharp TV like a lot of people out there. But um, I'm very impressed with the picture quality so far. Progressive Scan seems to... W- Actually, I don't know, have you been using Progressive Scan on it? Because I've noticed uh, with some DVDs, it seems to... Particularly older DVDs, for example, Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter, which I reviewed fairly recently... When I watched that with Progressive Scan, it seemed to have a very strange effect upon it. Uh, it was better to watch it without Progressive Scan on it. It just seemed to, uh, I don't know, it seemed very, very strange and artificial. The colours weren't right. The the depth, the field of depth wasn't the same. Uh, shocking. And it, that's done it on a couple of other uh, older movies. Not particularly older DVDs, but movies, older movies transferred to DVD, shall we say. But other than that, with most of the... Uh, films I've watched, it's been absolutely great. Very smooth, very smooth picture, beautiful colour reproduction, black levels are great, uh, detail is, is beautiful and sharp, yeah, it's a great, great machine. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed using it. It's certainly something new at the price point, and one thing that impressed me straight away when I got out of the box, yes, it is a little on the light side compared to the higher end machines, which uh, most of us have got, have got in our systems as well, but 
um, build quality. Um, it actually looks the business, doesn't it? It actually looks a couple hundred quid more than yeah, than, than yeah, you're actually paying for it. It is surprisingly light, though, isn't it? It seems to fly out of your hands when you took it out the box. Well, like I said, I've got the the, the five seven five by Pioneer, which is sort of or was at their point um, one of the entry players, which is in the same ballpark in terms of features and uh, spec. Uh, other than the uh, there's no HDMI, um, and that is probably about half the height of the um, the the seventeen thirty, um, and is a is just as light, but is not quite as well built. Um, it, it the, the Pioneer, unfortunately, and I I I, I won't knock Pioneer because I did have uh, one of their six six eight players. Um, the build quality of it is not in the same league as the, that Denon. Um, the Denon it, it looks uh, sort of much stronger. Um, it looks more capable. Um, it looks and it, the and it just it, it, it look if you if you think back to when sort of the the first few DVD players came out. Um, I mean, my first one was an American imported two one oh nine from Tosh. Yeah, um, that's, that's what I have. And, and in fact, I've still got it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and if you compare that to the Denon, the Denon looks infinitely better to that compared to that player. Um, oh, yeah. It certainly it looks um, much better built. Um, but but again, for the, for the it's, money, it's performance-wise, is is really where you know the ace is up its sleeve because the picture is great. It, the pricing on it is is it's very competitive. It's a really good player. The one thing I noticed about it as well, which I liked a lot, uh, again compared to my archaic other machines, was uh, when you're picture searching through a movie or whatever, and you're even going at the high speeds, when you suddenly hit play again, it hits it straight from that mark. With well, the other players I've had, they tend to judder a little bit uh, before you, you know they lose track of where they were. They've either gone too fast, it's taken you back to an earlier scene altogether, and you've gone far too far. The minute you hit play on this, you're there. It's very crisp, very sharp, very accurate, and uh, I like that. One thing I did notice, and I've had some some quite top end players in my system, especially the Onkyo THX certified machine, which was built like a tank. I mean, build quality. I've never seen anything like it in my life. However, the thing that let that player down and lets a lot of players down is the actual layer change. And one thing I found with the with the Den in seventeen thirty is the layer change is almost unnoticeable now. I've, I've caught it, but it certainly is very, very good. It, it's very quick, very smooth. Well, it should be uh, an invisible layer change. Um, most of the Denons have a, a buffer on them. That particular player has a 2 meg buffer. Um, my 3910 has a, an 8 meg buffer. So you really shouldn't notice any layer changes at all. And that, uh, as Chris was saying, is, is probably where it highlights when you, you know, you're fast-forwarding at, at sort of 20 speed, hit the play button, and boom, it's there. And Simon, what did you think of the machine? Well, I'm going to offer a, a slightly uh, uh, contrasting point to the looks. Um, I can't fault the build quality, yes, and it looks solid, but I don't really like the look of it. It's got these great big buttons on it. It reminds me of an old VHS um, recorder with its great big buttons and its huge um, glaring LED lights and that little flash, annoying flashing light that flashes on the middle oh, the of the HDMI. HDMI. That, the that HDMI. really gets on my nerves. Um, but you know, can't fault the quality. It's fantastic, and the picture, as everyone's been saying, is fantastic. It is, um, it is the the best picture that I've seen. I've got four players, and it's the best of them all. Um, you can alter the uh, picture at source. It has a has a has a little icon that you can change while the DVD's playing. You can change brightness and color and things like that. If your DVD's set up right in the first place, you should never have to do that, of course. But um, it's just a nice option for some of the. Um, for some players, um, a nice bit of picture it, tweaking, yeah. 
picture tweaking, yeah. I mean, if, if you got if you're set up right in the first place, you should never need to do it. But it's nice to have the option should you need to do it. Um, I must say, it is better than uh, my my Panasonic that I'm using or was using um, up until I uh, received this one through the post. In the days of HD, I mean, DVD is uh, it, it's going to have to take a back seat once the market gets going with HD players, whether Blu-ray or, or HD DVD. But one thing I um, I was really impressed with um, with the the seventeen thirty was the sound quality um, using the the coax out. Um, I'm using a, a Lexicon MC1 um, processor. Audio-wise, um, with CDs in, in two-channel, it's uh, excellent playback. And for movies, it's up there with some of the top-end players which which I've either got in the system or, or had in the system in the past, which, at the price point, nowadays you're thinking, well, you know, you, know, you don't really have to go to the high-end to get um, maximum per- performance now. No, that's true. I've got to say, that's one of the first things I noticed as well, because the first movie that I put in to test out was The Mummy, Mummy Returns, with its glorious DTS track on it. It just happens to be the one at hand, to be honest. <laughs> but I bung that in, and straight away, I mean, I, I'm pretty used to like, really good DTS. I, I, I love DTS. Uh, and this knocked my socks off, literally. So I quickly I tr- I ch- I changed it over and put it into the, uh, the old Toshiba I was using, which I always thought had a great output of sound as well. And uh, yeah, the, the Denon trounced it without a doubt. I expected it to, to be honest, but I mean, I, I was very impressed. Very crisp. Everything about it was, was beautiful and clear and warm and real. That's something that it does seem to be able to do, isn't it? It does seem to warm um, not only the sound but the picture as well. It seems to make poor encoded DVDs play better. Has anyone noticed that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I've, I'm. When I, well, I mean, the first disc I put in was, um, sorry to say, Seth, but it uh, was Star Wars Return of the Sith um, because it's, you know, it's a good-looking picture and it's got reasonable sound. And I put it on and I thought, well, yeah, okay, but it's a pretty good disc anyway. So I then put in um, Zathira, which um, I reviewed way back, um, which the pitch was okay, but I always thought it was a bit iffy. Didn't really like it on any of my players, but I put it in the den and it did actually improve the picture. I'm not saying it would have improved my score when I when I reviewed it, but it certainly <laughs> smoothed out some of the rough edges, made it look better. But it's not a miracle worker. I mean, what we're talking about here is is some you know pretty high end components in a little box. It's it's going to cost you no more than 150 pounds at the end of the day. Um, a lot of people will scorn on that and say, well, it's a budget end, but you know, and I probably would have been guilty of doing the same thing, thinking, well, you know, that's not worth... It's a bottom-run player. It's not worth even looking at. But to be honest, this little box of tricks has really impressed me with its with its picture quality, with its warm, dynamic sound. And basically, it's looks as well. I mean, it looks a million dollars, if you ask me. Nah. Well, see, it, it's great for people it who, uh, who've been bragging to their, say, their mums and dads who are like, oh, what's HD? What does all that mean? Uh, well, they've got like a, a steggy old, say, Cyber Home DVD player from Asda or wherever, and you want to you want to get a good player. It's only nice, nice and cheap, but it's really good quality. It's got great picture, great sound, and you you will see a difference. Oh, you a will. DVD player, yeah. DVD player, and you give them something like this, and it's only relatively cheap, and they even they are going to see that this is a, a really a really good player. They will see a difference. So the people who aren't going to necessarily be going over the high end and the high the really high spec and the high costing stuff. Um, can get a really good player which has got everything you need. well apart from like yeah, uh, it's not an HD player but it is a, a good upscaler and uh, for a, a very you know reasonable price 
a good performer all round. So, guys, does this player get the vote, and will it remain in our review systems? Definitely. Yeah, I guess my vote. Yeah, good, great player, great player. It's, it's my it's my player of choice now. It's an awkward question for me um, because obviously I have the high end machine, um, and it's it, it's not as good as the thirty nine ten. But on the other side of the coin, it's about a fifth of the price of the thirty nine ten. Um, and performance-wise, there isn't a huge amount of uh, difference between the two. It's a, it is a very capable player. It is better than the Pioneer 575 I've got, and is uh, very capable when you hook it up via HDMI. So there you go. That's the thoughts of the review team. Chris McAnini, Simon Crust, Seth Gecko, and myself. And the Denon 1730 certainly gets the thumbs up. And if you're in the market for the player, you can also find the multi-region hack on the AV Forum's hack page. That's been our roundtable for this week. For real AV talk, this is the AV Podcast. That's just about all for this week. Don't forget we have two other podcasts going out this week, and don't forget to download them. They are the Movies and Games Edition, as well as a special report from the What Hi-Fi and Best of Stuff show. We also value your feedback. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it in one of three ways. If you'd like to email us, please email podcast at avforums.com. You can leave a voice message on 0208 123 9587 or head over to the podcast forum at avforums.com and leave us a post. Jason. Thanks, Phil. And that wraps up the hardware edition of this week's AV Podcast. This is Jason Bradbury saying thanks for listening. Stay subscribed and tell your friends. The AV Podcast was presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. The audio-visual news was written by John Archer. Original music by Andrew Bassett. The AV Play review team were Chris McAnini, Cass Harlow, Simon Crust and Seth Gecko. The gaming news and reviews were presented by Ian Collin and Seth Gecko. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton. And the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2N Limited.